Hello, everyone. We're live here with Matt Fred. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Cameron. Are Thanks you drinking anything me. this morning? You know, I have a cup in front of me, but there's nothing in it. I forgot to get anything. So let's see. Maybe I have something around here. I can. Get. Well, we're live, so you can't leave. No, I'm not going to leave. I've got a bag of goodies here. Oh, yes. Look at this. I've got a Super Espresso Poteen Plus MCT oil. That sounds good. Uh, if you say so. <laughs> um, we're, we're doing a live interview with Matt Frad uh, about the liturgy and his experience of the liturgy uh, growing up. And now he attends the Byzantine Rite, so I'd love to hear more about that. I don't know much about it, so I'm genuinely interested. Yeah. And uh, just an update. So we've we've been live for two days and we've raised over $9,000. So thank you, everyone. That's awesome. Yeah, who's given. And uh, we're on a one really good track. We're about 11% funded. Um, if, if you can raise 30% within the first week, the likelihood of you getting fully funded is 86%. So mm. our goal is, I think it's 23,000. For week one so uh yeah thanks for all your support so far and please share this video uh matt cameron thanks for being here of all the You're welcome of all the camerons you know where do i rank on that list where would you well say? given that we just saw each other this morning i'd say you you're my third favorite cameron uh but i i do know three cameras including <laughs> you and one of them is my wife and the other is a close friend so i mean you know over time maybe you can be bumped up to number number two Okay. Okay. We'll see. Well, so Cameron Bertuzzi, who you've been doing right. live interviews with, just a short plug for Matt Fred's Patreon. Um, me and my wife support Matt and on sure. his Patreon. Thank you. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, and the reason we do that is because I can't think of anyone better who tackles really important Catholic topics um, in a fair and honest way in a humble way than, than Matt. And we support him on Patreon, not because we get cool things, even though you do, but because, man, we believe in what you're doing, Matt. And uh, anyone watching, if you don't support Matt on Patreon, check it out. You'll get access to these monthly debates with Cameron Bertuzzi. The, the most recent one was on the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist and is awesome. So. Matt, I, I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing, and thanks for being here. Really appreciate it's, it. It's it's a cool time to live, isn't it? Where you can come up with an idea and invite people to be a part of producing it, essentially, right? That's what I'm doing with Plants with Aquinas. That's what you're doing, yeah. um, with the Mass of the Ages. This is just really, really cool. Yeah, it's my dream. Glad I'm doing. Did I it. get that right? Mass of the Ages. It's correct. Good. Yeah. So I'd love to hear about your experience uh, growing up. You know, people who are our age we didn't grow up with the old mass um so how did you discover it and what's that story well i know it's very easy to kind of look back with hindsight and to sort of talk disparagingly or dismissively of of the way in which we were raised in the faith right i think a lot of us do that especially people around our age because we weren't raised with the tradition uh that the church wanted us to have um so i but i want to be careful because you know, like there, there are these pendulum swings throughout time. And I know that, you know, it, you know, in my church in Port Pirie, South Australia, 
you know, where priests were like, hey, call me John. And they didn't wear the clerics and there was no incense. And there was, you were lucky if there were candles and, you know, it was all just very casual. You know, there was a very, there was not much reverence. You know, we had drums and, you know, the same band that played at the pub, you know, played <laughs> kind of Protestant songs at, at Holy Mass. So, you know, there's a part of me that does want to speak like really disparagingly, but at the same time, as I say, I think they were kind of reacting to something else, but whatever. I, I think the point is like, I, I was raised in this church where honestly the people were good, you know, they were nice people, but I didn't see any point to it. Uh, no one was being any more reverent at Holy Mass than they were at, you know, Woolworths or the local supermarket or whatever. So I just... Yeah, I didn't I didn't see the point of it. You know, people would talk about the importance of prayer, but they would never pray. And I don't think anyone ever kind of presented me with a very solid uh, version of Catholicism to either reject or accept. And so I just gradually drifted away. But when I came back to my faith, I don't know if I came back to it, if I just met our blessed Lord. It was the year 2000 at World Youth Day is when I encountered him radically transformed my life you know i thought goodness gracious this is true it's actually true it's not just a play it's not just a story we tell our children like this is actually true and that just transformed my life and i just wanted to grow in my love and reverence of our lord and i like many young people just started naturally gravitating towards more traditional uh settings um and so the first time i ever went to the latin mass I think I was in Ireland. I was living in Ireland in Donegal and my wife and I were setting up the office for net ministries of Ireland. And I remember just finding it weird at first, honestly, like I wasn't actually drawn to it. I was drawn to it in a sense, like the reverence, the mystery, but it was also just very kind of alien to me. I didn't know how to take it. Um, but when my family moved to San Diego, when I worked for Catholic answers, we started attending the Latin mass. We were there for about three years. And it was just beautiful. I, I, I said to a friend of mine, he agreed with me that I felt like an orphan, you know, that I, I had no history. You know, I wasn't raised with the rosary um, or with the Catholic prayers or, or any of this stuff. It was all just sort of taken away from me. Um, so when I experienced it, I remember being very moved by it. I, I, I just had this, this, this sense that I want to go somewhere to kiss the earth as it were. I want to go somewhere and know my place to kneel, right? To receive our Lord on the tongue. You know, these sorts of things. I wanted to go somewhere. There's this hunger that I have for God. I wanted it to be taken seriously. And for me, it felt like it was being taken seriously at the Latin mass. Now it can at the Novus Ordo, but many of the Novus Ordo churches I went to, it just wasn't, you know, it was people, it was the priest and God bless him. Again, I don't mean to be overly critical because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mess myself, you know, but you know, the priest saying, Hey, let's just greet each other and say hi. And I'm just like, I don't, I'm kind of, I feel hurt. It would be like if my wife and I were trying to have an intimate evening and she kept making jokes. I'd be like, why, oh, man. why, why, why are you doing analogy. that? And that's what it felt like. Whereas it felt like when I went to the Latin mass, it was like that, that longing for, I know not what as St. John of the cross calls him was taken seriously yeah the the two words you said casual on one end but serious on the other end like a a sunday where encountering almighty god is taken seriously and that's something i i experienced i had a a, a profound experience like you on a retreat 2007 for me <laughs> 
and and the Eucharist. I I knew Jesus. Well, I knew that the Eucharist was Jesus because I had good Catholic formation, but I didn't know really who Jesus was until that moment. The the, the love of God, uh, you know, broke into me. And I realized that the Eucharist is the most important thing on earth. Uh, it's, it's what deserves my complete attention. Um, if I can promote... If I can get people to love the Eucharist, I've lived a good life. Um, and it it wasn't until, I mean, like you said, there's reverent Novus Ordos, and I've had plenty of lovely experiences at Mass at Novus Ordo. But when I found the Latin Mass, it was like, I'm home. This is the the judicious care for the Blessed Sacrament, the the focus, you know, on, on, on the Eucharist and all that. So... Um, but, but you, you attended TLM. It's very beautiful. But how, how did you transition into the Byzantine, right? Cause I know you attend there regularly now. Yeah, that's our parish. We moved to Atlanta. Oh, just over six years ago. The only Latin mass was, was well over an hour away. And so we tried going a couple of times, but you know, it, it didn't really pan out for us. Um, one day I was at a Steubenville conference, uh, this young adult conference, and I saw this priest distributing Holy Communion, and he looked way better than the other priests. His, vestment, <laughs> his vestments just looked awesome. And it was up until that point, I was reading some kind of Eastern Orthodox literature, one of the, one of the books, Way of a Pilgrim on the Jesus Prayer. And I, I was just becoming more, more kind of moved by what the Eastern fathers of the church had to say. So when I saw him, I walked up to him after Holy Mass and I said, hey, you, are you an Eastern priest? He said, yeah. I said, wow, that's, that's cool. I've been you know, praying the Chotki and stuff. And he said, well, my parish is like up the road from you because we were actually in Florida at this conference. So it was really weird that he was from Georgia. I said, wow, that's awesome. So we, we started attending the Byzantine uh, church um, about five years ago, thereabouts. And... Um, it was beautiful. It was so it, that's when I felt at home. Like I walked in and I just, uh, I was at home and our children all received the sacraments. My, my baby Peter was receiving Eucharist each week. Um, they all got, you know, chrismated com confirmed. Um, and so we've been attending there. Uh, and, and for me, that's, that's really at home, you know, like to go to a, a Western church. I'm like, yeah, I totally see that this is beautiful. hundred percent. It's just not home anymore. Um, so I think it's really important too, right? That we obviously recognize that we can champion a particular liturgy without being exclusivists, you know, right? The church is universal and there are different expressions of the faith and we shouldn't demand uniformity where the church allows diversity of opinion or custom. Um, and so for, for us, the divine liturgy, though, it has that reverence also, you know, it's, there's a lot of chanting and bowing and incense and um, I'm sure you'd love it too if you, if you went. How do you do it with young kids? <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's easier because you go to the Latin mass. It's very contemplative and beautiful, very silent and still a lot of the time. Whereas you go to a Byzantine divine liturgy, we sing about, you know, 98% of the liturgy. Wow. And so you step in, it's like being thrown into a, like a, I don't know, like a raft and you're going whitewater rafting. It's like, hold on. And you're bowing and you're crossing yourself a million times and you're chanting. And so, yeah. um, yeah, there's a reverence there, but also a very, uh, hopefully the same 
at the mass you go to, but a very much a welcoming of children. And so oh, yeah. there's a lot of kissing at our church too, like a, not of each other, but of, of like the icons and things like that. And so <laughs> <laughs> if Peter, my, my youngest kind of gets bored, we'll go to the icon room and we'll just walk around kissing all the different icons. So Lex Arandi, Lex Credendi. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the, uh, that's the, uh, um, the theme of our documentary. And it's so, it's so true. How, how have you seen that to be true? I have a follow-up well, question, but I'd love to hear it from your perspective. Well, I think I it would just kind of, you could probably tell what I'm going to say from, from what I've already said. I mean, if I go to church and the Eucharist is celebrated in a sloppy manner, for example, when I was in high school, went to a Catholic school, none of us knew why we were there. We didn't care. We didn't believe in God or Jesus Christ. Um, I'm not even sure many of the teachers did either. Well, if they did believe in God, I don't think many many of them believed in what the Catholic Church taught. So, you know, they had different, you know, students choose, like, do different aspects of the Holy Mass, you know, to get us involved, I guess. And so I remember, like, they they put us on music ministry, and that just meant we had to pick out different songs to play on the CD player. And, And me and my friend chose a Metallica song. So the closing hymn of at Holy Mass in my like grade 11 mass, I think we played Mama Said or Hero of the Day. I think it was Hero of the Day. I'm in pain. From Lord. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's horrible. That's really horrible. But I don't actually blame myself. I blame myself for a lot of things. I don't blame myself for this because we were kind of given free reign. No one taught us about the liturgy. No one seemed to care. Um, so if you're going to a mass and you're celebrating in a sloppy way, that's going to affect how you relate to God, what you believe about him and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So of course, when you bring up the liturgy, uh, it's like, it's really hard to even begin conversations online about the liturgy or write worship, you know? Yeah. Uh, the reason why I'm making this thing is because we've seen a drastic devastating loss of faith within the Catholic Church. Of course, the most recent uh, clear example is that two-thirds of Catholics no longer believe in the real presence. Exactly. Uh, Mass attendance going from 73% in 1955 to 23% today. Yeah. Um, And... And so whereas, like, if you, to to that point, sorry to interrupt. No, you're fine. But, you know, like when when my children receive Eucharist, like a Disney church, like you open up your mouth and you're fed by a golden spoon. It's pretty cool. But if we go that if we go cool. to Holy Mass, it's like you kneel down and you open up your mouth. That's what you do. Well, can I receive it on their hands? No, no, you cannot do that. You know, like that's that's not what we do. And I think just that and I'm not shaming. That's not me trying to shame anybody who does receive on the hand. But to your point, like the way we worship does affect our view of God. Now, God isn't your buddy, right? God, he is the Lord of all creation. He is existence itself. Um, we ought to fear him in the sense that we ought to give him reverence, right? Um, and so how do you learn that, you know, at a mass where where Metallica is being played and everyone's just kind of going up and receiving the Eucharist like a cracker? So, yeah. It reminds me of a, I have a quote here from Chesterton. I'm, I'm sure you've heard um, from Orthodoxy. He says... He's talking about Catholic doctrine over history and how the church holds like two flags high. They seem to be in contradiction, but they're actually, they both need to be retained in their purity. So he says, and this reminds me of liturgy. He says, 
It has kept them side by side like two strong colors, red and white, like the red and white upon the shield of St. George. It has always had a healthy hatred of pink. It hates the evolution of black into white, which is tantamount to a dirty gray. Christianity sought to keep two colors coexistent but pure. So you're talking about this like kingly sense, this almighty God, this you need to be serious when you when you go to mass and you're encountering almighty God. It's a big deal. He's on but at, at the same time this almighty God has died for us. This king is on the cross and he has become bread so we can consume him. And I think when I think of right worship, I think of those two banners like flying together. It's the almighty God on his unshakable throne gives himself to us in the most intimate way imaginable. Um, now, now, when you talk about this drastic loss of faith in the church and right worship, it inevitably leads to like all these assumptions about what you believe. Like, do you do you hate the Pope? Um, are you Pharisaical? Uh, you know, you you can you can think of a dozen examples of like how you're kind of labeled. So, do you have a do you have advice for us with like? This documentary, how, how we're approaching it, um, how how have you seen, like, in your ministry, in your very public public voice, how is it best to, like, talk about this in a nuanced way without being labeled, being like, you're either this or that? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question because we, we, we naturally react to what we perceive to be evil, right, or an injustice. And so if I look around and I perceive there to be many Catholics who deny the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, who are attending Holy Mass, or it's being, you know, celebrated with very little reverence, you know, the tendency is to react to that. And that's a, a good, in a sense, it's a good thing. Like we don't want that. So therefore we want this. I think like, here's how I would sum up my take. Um, faithful Catholics ought, 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 ought to submit to what the Catholic Church teaches authoritatively, but we also must not, and I said it earlier, demand a uniformity where the church allows for diversity of opinion or custom. Now, that's a, that's a difficult thing for some people to do, right? So if, again, a faithful Catholic is not just one who submits what the church teaches authoritatively, but it's also someone who does not demand uniformity where the church allows diversity of opinion or custom. And that's a very difficult thing to do. You know, to give a couple of examples, you know, suppose you find a particular devotion really meaningful to you. Maybe it's wearing the brown scapula or praying the Holy Rosary or praying the St. Michael Chaplet, and, and you're very enthusiastic about this thing. That's terrific. But I think the temptation can be to then try to impose this upon everybody else and to use it as a sort of litmus test to see who's in the group and who's out of the group. And I think that's like legitimately narrow-minded in a negative sense and unhelpful and not what the Catholic church would have you do. You know, like if you look upon me or if somebody looks upon me and says, well, because you attend a Byzantine church, you're therefore kind of less Catholic. Like that would be an example of what I'm talking about. Um, so again, yeah, submitting to what the church teaches, but then allowing for diversity of opinion uh, or custom, um, which is a difficult thing to do when you're kind of reacting to a sort of 
sloppy Catholicism, right? You, then, then it seems like, well, what I now need to do is to become very kind of rigid um, to avoid the sloppiness or so that I don't fall back into it. And rigidity can be good um, in certain instances, you know, like uh, we should be rigid about certain things and certain beliefs we should hold fast to uh, and, even, and even practices. Um, but yeah, there, there's got to be that kind of that, that gentle openness and awareness that the church is very large, that it is universal. So um, yeah, what do you think about that? Feel well, free to push against that if you like. Um, let me make sure. Uh, okay, sorry, OBS. Okay, uh, well, I, I'm wondering, um, we can go back and forth a little bit, where uh completely agree with what you're saying. I wonder if a lot of Catholics use the church in kind of an equivocated way, where they think the church teaches means what my bishop says or what um, the Pope right. says or... Um, what even the Pope does or what the Bishop does, they think that's church teaching. That's fair. And that's why I, that's why I use the word authoritatively, right? So mm. when I said, yeah. So yeah, it's one thing, like for example, if we look at uh, St. John Paul II, who I believe was a beautiful, holy man, um, and is a saint, you know, like when he kissed the Quran, I can say, yeah, you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. That was confusing. And I wish you hadn't have done that. So like we, we can we can recognize that our leaders, that our popes, that our bishops, that our priests, that our whoever um, can act in ways that are unhelpful or even sinful. They can even yep. believe things that are false. Um, we shouldn't believe those things. But if the church is teaching something authoritatively, like for example, that there are multiple rites within yep. multiple churches in the Catholic church and Holy Mass, if you want, can be celebrated under different rites. Like if the church is teaching something like that, then then we should we should accept it. Um, but that doesn't mean that if a particular bishop comes out and suggests that maybe sodomy isn't evil after all, well, that's just a bad bishop, right? Who's teaching a bad yep. thing and should be corrected. Um, then it's probably a good idea for people to just go to the source, like the actual magisterial document. Um, in all, yeah, we, in any we instance. have, we have the catechism of the Catholic church, you know, yeah. and there's a, there's, there's not a shortage of people online who are helping us to sort of understand what the church teaches and has always taught. Yeah. Um, but to somehow, to somehow to do that with great love and charity, which I think I see in, in yourself and what you're doing, right. It's like, I want to, I want to journey with our Lord. I want an intimate relationship with him because I think it, like we have to, I think it's clear, like on either side, if you want to use the kind of left and right sort of jargon, there's, there's pitfalls on either side of those things, you know, and I think like people like you and me, who I guess at least liturgically and religiously are more on the right, if you want, um, and maybe that's unhelpful language, I don't know, but there's certainly the pitfall of becoming a sort of Pharisee, right? Like I can be right about bloody everything and be horrible to my wife and impatient with my kids who doesn't spend time with in mental prayer you know, is arrogant, who speaks disparagingly of other Catholics, who looks down my nose at people who attend the Novus Ordo, um, who speaks about bishops in an uncharitable way, who's guilty of gossip and backbiting and slander. And I can go to hell for those things. So I think it's, you know, we, we, we can't ever allow our desire for a beautiful liturgy and the true faith to kind of harden our heart um, and, and to 
you know, I think you could probably be an atheist and seem like a really good Catholic in the sense that you could do everything right, you know, mm. the go to Holy Mass and you bloody well kneel when you should and you pray in your rosary, um, you know, mm. but, but your heart could be as cold as ice. And so obviously, and, and maybe that was what people were reacting to in the 60s and 70s. Like I've spoken to seminary professors and these are the kind of priests who are like, hey, call me Bob, you know? I'm like, okay, Father Bob. Um, <laughs> You know, they, 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 they say to me that that was the kind of reaction that people were going to mass, they had no idea why they were there and, and, and what they were doing there. I'm not saying that's the majority of the case, and I'm certainly not excusing the sort of liturgical abuses that kind of were a reaction to that. I'm just saying, I think, you know, trying, trying to understand where people were coming from in the first place, like where faith had just become very mechanical to them. And so it's like, how do we have the beauty and riches of the liturgy with that profound um growing in virtue yeah. and relationship with our blessed lord that sort of thing healthy hatred of pink we need both red and white yeah <laughs> together yeah. um th this is a related question so you know let's say i attend uh father bob's church and i play metallica you know at the uh closing hymn and everything and i i, I you know i think i'm a great catholic i'm I, I actually get fed, quote unquote, on, on Sunday. I, I like my parish. But why, why should I consider attending traditional Latin Mass or Byzantine versus the Novus Ordo parish I go to? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's important to realize that people are, you know, we have to meet people where they're at. Now, that doesn't mean like we should do liturgical abuse because people are at different places. That's not what I'm saying. But like people are at different stages, right? Like some people were raised in a Catholic family had a horrible experience of Catholicism, maybe with their parents, or maybe they were abused by a priest. And, um, you know, now, you know, maybe they're in their twenties and they're going to like a life teen mass, you know, and to them to go to the Latin mass would be just kind of like very jarring and uninteresting and horrible for them, you know, on a sort of subjective level. So I think it is important to recognize that we're all on a different faith journey. That's not an excuse for liturgical abuse. That's good. That rhymed. But but to recognize that people are in different stages, and I don't, you know, I I wouldn't question like if somebody was going to holy mass and it was a sloppily done liturgy and they said they're being fed, I'm not sure I would disagree with that. I think it's of course we're being fed in one sense, um, but I think like as one grows in one's relationship with the Lord, there is a desire for an increase in reverence, you know. Uh, and that's what I found in my life. And that's what I think a lot of young people are finding today. Mm. So um, why should they consider it? Well, um, they should, I think, just give it a try. One of the nice things about going to the Latin mass is it's not about you. It's, <laughs> it's it, the focus is all on our blessed Lord. And honestly, I, yeah. for all the rubrics that are required for a priest to celebrate the Latin mass, I think that's probably easier than the way some priests try to be entertaining on Sunday, you know? It's like, gosh, how cool would it be? Just got to get up, do exactly what you're supposed to do, right? <laughs> Celebrate yeah. the liturgy and just proclaim the word, drawing upon the wisdom of the fathers and the yeah. saints. Sit down. You don't need to be, you don't need to get super emotional. Like you don't, you don't have to like try to create some false sense of intimacy among the members by having us all hug each other. No, just, you don't have to worry about it. In, in a way, that's kind of easier. 
So I, I would definitely advise people to check out, you know, go, go, go to the Latin mass, give it a try. It's very, very beautiful. Yeah. How much can be gained from just the priest turning towards the altar? Because there's this, I, I imagine very human psychological effect that happens when you're facing a crowd, you want, you're like, all right, yeah, I, I, it's kind of on me to do something to like stir something up. And, um, but with the priest facing the altar, all that pressure's off. He's doing Amen. something objective, and it's it's not waiting for me to, me in the in the congregation to do something. Yeah. In fact, if you if you're used to going to a Novus Ordo and then you went to a Latin Mass, you might get the sense that this guy's not even trying. He's <laughs> like, not even trying to make this interesting. You know, um, like there's no like inflection in his voice. Like sometimes the homilies are like read so dryly, um, and so I get that. But um, it's almost a different headspace. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah, so. Another question we have from Father Alfonso, uh, who's a friend of mine. Thanks for your question, Father. Joseph Pieper, or Piper, makes mm. an interesting point in the search for the sacred, that those who do not believe in the incarnation will find no meaning in the mass. Is it, uh, do you want me to read that again? Or do yeah, you, please, okay. yeah, just that last line. Okay. Those who do not believe in the incarnation will find no meaning in the mass. Mm -hmm. Is a lack of reverence in the mass evidence or symptomatic of a deeper crisis of faith in the incarnation itself? Interesting. Yeah, that's a great question. I can see it going both ways. If I don't believe in the incarnation, then holy mass is just a show. I can also see it the other way. If Holy Mass is performed in a sloppy, disrespectful manner, then you don't seem to believe in the incarnation. Um, you don't seem to believe that that the bread and wine that were there a moment ago are now the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, maybe that leads me to doubt the incarnation. Uh, we're at 30 minutes now. We just have two more questions. Maybe we can do them rapid fire. Sure. How's that sound? Okay. okay, I'll do my best. Thanks. Okay. Uh, this is from Matthew. What are your thoughts on the differences and melding of traditional liturgy and the charismatic renewal? Um, so I'm sure he's not, he's not talking about bringing the charismatic renewal into the mass. He's talking about the, both of these banners flying together, you know, can we be charismatic traditionalists? So both of those words would need a lot of unpacking, yeah. right? Because yeah. as you say, traditionalist comes with a lot of baggage, as does charismatic. Um, certainly, we wouldn't want to be incorporating charismatic uh, elements of worship into Holy Mass. I mean, if you read the, the, the document from the Second Vatican Council, Sacrosanctum Concilium, it's pretty bloody clear, you know, that the Gregorian chant ought to be given pride and place in the liturgy, that the faithful ought to know the ordinary in Latin, uh, it says nothing about the priest facing the people. It's, it's kind of funny. Like if somebody says to you, like my, my priest celebrates the kind of more Vatican II style mass. Oh, cool. So you have a Gregorian chant. That's cool. <laughs> uh, the priest doesn't face the people and y'all do, do the ordinary in Latin. Um, so yeah, so I don't think you'd want to do that. But then if you talk about charismatic, well, charism, I think we're talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives upon the faithful uh, for the upbuilding of his kingdom. This is spoken about explicitly in the scriptures. If you want to deny things like prophecy and healing um, and, and these sorts of things, you, you're going to have to do away with what St. Paul has to say in Scripture. And so I think our, the Lord does give these sort, certain gifts uh, to his church for the upbuilding of the kingdom. 
Um, and so being going to a Latin mass, I don't think should cause us to look with undue suspicion upon those who pray for and exercise the charismatic gifts. I also don't think that if somebody's in a, the charismatic movement, that should cause them to look with undue suspicion on those who are desirous of a reverent liturgy and prayer life. I think the bottom line is come. Like, experience it for yourself. Don't just come once, because the first time you'll be lost. You wonder what's going on. Um, Eric Sammons, who we interviewed for the documentary, he said, give it give it a month or two. Like, okay, i got to say this. Do okay. we really think that there are young faithful Catholics today who are not going to the Latin Mass? I, really, <laughs> I, I don't mean to be arrogant, but just, just from, like, what I see, I don't know any young adult like by which i mean like in their 20s and 30s who are serious about the faith who are like nah screw the latin mass i i want to go to a i want to go to a poorly done i don't think anybody is saying that or maybe there's a small percentage of them it's almost like i think was it saint augustine who said that i might be getting this wrong okay but something i've heard somebody say that the catholic church is like a lion you don't need to defend it you just need to let it out of the cage I kind of feel like the Latin Mass and, and, and a beautiful uh, reverent liturgy is like that. It's like, nah, you, don't, you don't need to explain it. Just just come, as you say, go. come. Just here you go. You're welcome. Yeah. Yep. And don't, don't try to follow along because the, the priest is not there to help you and hold your hand. It's just, it's happening. And get yourself a missal eventually. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I think there's a, there's a lot. And, and, and I would also say to people who are coming, like, don't let the weird people who are at that church dissuade you from coming back yeah. all right so let me just okay. put that out there right whenever you have a sort of fringe and by fringe i don't mean false or unhealthy in any sense but if you have a fringe movement in the church like like the latin mass kind of is like if you compare like extraordinary form to the ordinary form just in the sense of how many people are attending the extraordinary form it's less that's all i'm saying okay and so when you have something like that that's naturally going to attract a fringe type of personality now, I'm not saying that everybody who goes to Latin Mass is weird, but you definitely get weird people attending the Latin Mass who are dressed up like they're from the 20s and don't seem to be able to hold a conversation with eye contact, right? That's just kind of the reality uh, that I've experienced, and I think good luck making an argument that that's not the case. That said, there's weird people everywhere, right? There's weird people who attend the Novus Order. There's weird people who attend the Byzantine Church and pretty much talk as if the Orthodox uh, Church isn't in schism, right? So... But just don't allow that to dissuade you. Um, in my experience, when I go to an FSSP parish, the priests there are solid, well-rounded, well-formed. And while I might like encounter some people who, you know, I, I'm like, ah, gosh, I have no idea what's going on with you. You seem to be super into the Latin mass, but I, you also seem to be denying the Holocaust and a bit weird. Um, and that's, that's an actual conversation I've had wow. with people. Um, don't, don't allow that to dissuade you just there's weird people everywhere um but i think that is something that ought to be addressed because i think out that you know what i want to do is defend people who go to the latin mass right because you, you hear people like lob these objections like people who go to the latin mass are just angry and i just want i just want to tell them to shut up and i want to kind of defend it but i also think it's important that we kind of also realize like yeah like when you have a movement that's that that's kind of small in the church that's going to attract a fringe type of person and I, okay so Maybe I've dug myself into a hole here, Cameron, but what well, would you have it, to say to that? It reminds me of the uh, parable of the mustard seed because you have this mustard seed that's a very small thing that you could think about that as 
maybe the Last Supper or the, the First Mass. And then over time, it becomes this very complex, beautiful, it looks completely different um, in a lot of ways. And But then you have all these weird birds who <laughs> come in and like all these different birds from, you know, you know, various uh, backgrounds and whatever. And that reminds me of the kind of uh, wonderful people you find at the Latin Mass. It's yeah, really and, and I'm sure people have encountered me and have thought the same thing. Like, okay, this guy speaks about pornography all over the country. This is, I can't do this. This is, this is too weird. <laughs> well, I, I got to share one okay. nice a- anecdote and then I'll stop. Um, no, I, w- when we attended the Latin Mass in San Diego, Father um, Gizmondi, a good holy priest out there, you know, we were feeling quite discouraged because everybody else's family, you know, their kids seemed to be sitting and kneeling with their hands together and everyone was quiet. Our family were nuts, you know, like kids are climbing on the pews and being loud. And it was quite, you know, dispiriting. And my wife said to Father Gizmondi, like, I just, I don't know what to do. I feel really bad. All these other families, you know, they all seem to be quiet. And what did he say? He said, um, Oh, something to the effect of, I, I know enough about original sin to know that those kids aren't normal. So don't worry about it. It was something <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's been tongue in cheek kind of thing, but it was really a really nice, nice thing. So also if you have kids, like, don't worry, go, go to Holy Mass. And it's perfectly acceptable for children to be making acceptable kind of noises. Obviously if they get loud, take yeah. them out, but yeah. just, we, and we, I would also say to people going to the Latin Mass, like you should smile more at, at parents with kids. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a very solemn occasion. It's sort of like when I go to CrossFit and I might make eye contact with someone while I'm working out. They're not smiling at me. They're not angry. They're just doing something else. And I think it's similar. You go to Latin mass. People are, are praying. They're not there to smile at you totally. And that, that, that makes sense. But I would just, I think it's so important that if we see a family and they're struggling with a little one, just to kind of turn and give them a smile. You know, you are welcome here. That kind of thing. You know, we've never experienced like a snide comment or a glare at the Latin That's mass. Awesome. I, don't, I don't believe we've ever experienced that. We, with our firstborn, we, we would take her back, you know, at least three, usually four and five times during the liturgy, like back and forth, back and forth. But um, just got to do what you got to do. A lot of, a lot of yeah. young families with a lot of kids at the Latin Mass. That's how we roll.